Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome. This is our very first, our inaugural podcast for The Pie Shop. Uh, this uh, this uh, cast will be sponsored by The Pie Shop, of course, and it will also be sponsored by Blue Dolphin Design and Engineering. Um, I'm really uh, glad to be doing this uh, this first podcast. It's going to be the first of, of many. We're going to continue to do this, and you guys will hear about this when we're doing it. And um, this the subject of this first one is intellectual property. And for those of you who don't know what intellectual property is, um, hopefully you'll uh, you'll you'll learn some things today. And uh, what intellectual property is kind of is, is patents, trademarks, copyrights, those kind of things, and which most people have heard about. And so um, today uh, we have a really uh, wonderful guest, um, Sherry Flynn. She uh, graduated from uh, Carnegie Mellon University, uh, got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and then she got her Juris Doctorate in Law at San Joaquin College of Law here in California. Uh, she currently is an attorney and a partner for Coleman and Horowitz, and uh, she uh, represents clients in intellectual property registration and enforcement, including patents, trademarks and copyrights, business and business torts, and uh, construction. And she has over 30 years of business and engineering experience. And uh, anyways, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for coming in. I Thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. You had to mention that 30 years, though. <laughs> well, you started when you were young, I'm sure. I was, I was a baby when I started. You were a prodigy, probably, yes. yes uh-huh. so. <laughs> um, so, okay, so uh, let's just kind of, well, let's just kind of start this. I, 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 uh, I think people, some people have some idea of what the things are, the patents are, and those kind of things. Uh, can you um, elaborate more on what a patent actually is? Absolutely. Um, a patent is a right granted by the government, by a U.S. government or a foreign government, but, you know, let's talk U.S. patents. So it's a right granted by the government that gives you the right to exclude people from making and using your invention or selling your invention in the United States if it's a U.S. patent. <laughs> okay. So... Um, uh, so what type of things can you patent? I mean, can, can I patent uh, a formula or can I, can I patent uh, a machine? I would think I could patent, but what are the kind of things, what are the things you can patent? Yeah, you absolutely can patent a machine. Mm-hmm. You can also patent a process or a method of doing something. Um, you can uh, patent a composition of matter. You mentioned a formula, composition, mm-hmm. and matter. Um, so those are the basic things that are, are patentable. So what kind of things uh, can you think of that, that, that can't be patented? Uh, there's quite a few things that can't be patented. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them might surprise people, but some basic things are you can't patent laws of nature. Okay. You know, E equals MC squared is just not patentable. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't patent 
mathematical formulations. I mentioned E equals MC squared, but even mm -hmm. things like gravity, uh, mm -hmm. scientific, can't be patented. Mm -hmm. It's a law of nature. Mm -hmm. um, you can't patent heavenly bodies, oh, you know, okay. things in space. Mm -hmm. um, you can't patent uh, impossible things. Mm. You know, I've had people come to me and they have some concept for a perpetual motion machine. Mm -hmm. And as you know, at least on this earth, mm -hmm. um, you can't really have a, a perpetual motion machine. So mm -hmm. that's not patentable. Mm -hmm. um, one thing people don't really realize is that you can't patent abstract ideas. Mm -hmm. If it's just an idea um, in your head, that's really not patentable. And lately, the um, courts have gotten to where they've really expanded on what is an abstract idea. So, for example, um, you can't patent something that can be done mentally or with pencil and paper and put it on a computer. And just putting it on the computer doesn't make it patentable. Mm. You know, and, and games, for example, like the game of bingo, somebody tried to patent um, a computerized form of bingo. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that it was put on the computer mm -hmm. uh, did not make it patentable. Okay. And the courts actually consider that an abstract idea, a oh. method of organizing human behavior. So that's not patentable either. Yeah, I, I know that um, Blue Dolphin, we definitely have had people come to us with ideas that um, we believe can't exist in the real world, this world. And, and or our perpetual motion machines. In fact, we've had people, uh, I remember one individual came to me who wanted me to prove, um, he wanted to pay me to prove that what he was doing couldn't, uh, couldn't exist in this world. And I told him I could save him a lot of money and it'd take about 30 seconds and just say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so, uh, um, but, but yes, so I, I kind of follow that, um, uh, <laughs> What, what's, what can, some of that, what can be and what cannot be patented. Um, also, uh, are there, uh, if it's obvious to people uh, in the industry that it's in, in other words, if it's an obvious step, uh, doesn't that affect the patentability of, of something? Absolutely, Mark. You're very right there. Um, you know, the things that I was talking about, like the laws of nature um, and the mathematical formulas, that's, you know, that the first number one thing is to be patentable. Something's got to be patentable subject matter. Mm -hmm. So the things I was describing, the laws of nature, those, those types of things, abstract ideas are not patentable subject matter. But as you were alluding to, in order to be patentable, it's also got to be novel. It's got to be new, something that no one's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be non-obvious. Mm -hmm. And the non-obvious concept's a little bit hard for people to sure. understand sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if you're taking two different things and putting them together, and in the industry it would be obvious to combine those two things, mm -hmm. then it's not patentable either. Mm -hmm. That probably leads to some argument, though, right? It may not always be uh, obvious that it that those things might go together. That's uh, we, I'm there, we definitely have, of course. Blue Dolphin has had instances of the same that same kind of thing, and we don't answer those questions. We send send to people like you, so. yeah, to the patent attorneys. Yes. And we argue with the patent office all the <laughs> sure. time with the examiners. We argue nicely, <laughs> but we do argue with the patent examiners often about whether or not something's obvious in a particular field. Oh, okay, so what are the um, 
I know there's more than one type of patent. Can you uh, go through the different types of patents and and the, what differentiates those? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, first of all, there's uh, what's called a utility patent, and sometimes people use the term non-provisional and utility patent yes. synonymously, but a utility patent protects the function of something. And I haven't really looked at the number, but by and large, the types of patents that are um, uh, issued are utility patents. Mm -hmm. But there's also design patents, and there's also plant patents. Oh, okay. Uh, plant patents is something that I haven't gotten into a whole lot, but I'll start with that and then work backwards, sure. because um, we can probably talk very little about, about plant patents. Mm -hmm. But plant patents, if you can produce a new strain of roses, for example, that could be patentable. Mm. Um, it's got to be asexually reproduced, meaning that it can't be from seed. It's okay. got to be like grafted, and it's got to be able to be reproduced over and over again mm -hmm. and result with the same type of plant or okay. the same plant. So okay. so strains of roses, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. could and other, other types of plants could be patentable. Um, most of the patents uh, that I deal with are either design patents mm -hmm. or utility patents. And design patents um, cover the ornamental look of something, mm -hmm. not the function of it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, and you can get a design patent and a utility patent on the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, I've got a client that does a lot of um, work in the electronics business, um, speakers, for example, mm -hmm. and... You can get a, you, or excuse me, a design patent on the ornamental look of something like a speaker. Mm -hmm. Or it could be anything, a jewelry box. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got some ornamentation that's mm -hmm. really, uh, nice looking, um, you can, you can get a design patent on that. Mm -hmm. A utility patent, uh, protects the function of something. So as I was mentioning, the client with the speakers, you know, if they, for example, when surround sound first came out, that's, that's pretty useful. That's a utility type of thing. Um, the function of surround sound is likely, I didn't check, but it's likely, uh, patented mm -hmm. for the function of that sound. So, sure. <laughs> so speakers could be patented for some new innovation, useful mm -hmm. part of the speaker, mm -hmm. and then also the look of the speaker. Okay. So um, you mentioned uh, the provisional uh, patents. What um, what 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 is a provisional patent? That's kind of a newer thing, right? Or well, it's not particularly new, but it's very misunderstood. In <laughs> sure. fact, you use the term. I just misunderstood it. Yeah, you, you <laughs> just use the term provisional patent, mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as a provisional patent. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. What there is is a provisional patent application, gotcha. which I think. That's what I Yeah, that, mm -hmm. I know that's what you meant. <laughs> but a provisional patent application is a way that you can get a patent application on file um, with less requirements from the patent office, um, cheaper, less expensive than a regular utility patent application. Mm -hmm. um, now, a provisional is not available for design patents. Okay. But for utility patents, that's why I said utility patents can be called utility or non-provisional. Mm -hmm. But the provisional application allows you to get the application on file much quicker and easier mm -hmm. because the requirements are less stringent from the patent office. Um, and so you can get that filing date um, or 
sooner because mm-hmm. you need the filing date as soon as you can get it. The problem with the provisional, if you want to call it a problem, is that they're not examined. Okay. In other words, you put a provisional patent application on file. Mm-hmm. The uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office looks at it and says, okay, you've met the minimum requirements for a provisional application. They give you a, a patent pending application number, um, and then it sits. Mm-hmm. And nobody from the patent office examines it any further than that. Mm-hmm. But the good side is that you get a year. From the date you file the provisional application, you have one year to file a non-provisional application mm-hmm. or a utility patent application. Right. And so in that year, you know, I, I, you deal with a lot of entrepreneurs. Yes. I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, <laughs> mm-hmm. individual inventors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, oftentimes they've got the, the invention pretty well defined. Mm-hmm. But what they don't really have together is their business plan. Sure. How they're going to make it, how much they're going to sell it for, sure. how they're going to market it, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what the provisional patent application does is it gives them a year mm-hmm. to kind of figure those things out before they have to go through the expense of filing a non-provisional application. Right. So what happens at the end of that year if they haven't filed the utility application? If they haven't, then their non-provisional goes abandoned. Okay. And then they can't rely on that filing date after that one-year period. Okay. Now, the provisionals are confidential. They don't get published. Right. So the idea, the concept, the invention is not published. So theoretically, at least, if they haven't made it, used it, disclosed it publicly, they could file again. Sure. But they lose that, the benefit of that early filing date. Sure. Right. So, um, uh, there are a couple things I know that, uh, from Blue Dolphin's side that, um, uh, we run into related to patents in general. Um, when somebody comes to us, uh, occasionally they have their full utility patent, uh, application has been accepted. There, it's the, the patent has been, has gone through and is, is granted. And so they're set by what they've patented. And uh, sometimes when they bring us an idea at that le- at that level, and they ask us to develop it into the actual thing, uh, the physical thing that they've patented, occasionally we have an issue where we're limited to work within the scope of what the patent says, and we can't work outside the scope of the patent because we could, in theory, develop a device that's not covered by the patent, mm-hmm. and um, it li- it can limit. Uh, our ability to uh, do effective work, uh, you know, to design and to, to give, I, give, you know, uh, add value to what they're trying to do. And so, um, uh, when we are working with a client who hasn't filed, uh, for the utility patent, um, it's a business decision in that, uh, it's useful for us to not be restricted by the full application or the full accepted patent yet. Uh, we can we can potentially add to it before it gets it's gets filed. Are, are there ways in that circumstance where somebody has a patent, they filed it, they it's been granted, and there are things now that that happen during the development that we want to add, you know, that we want to augment that patent um, because of the actual development of the actual thing and prototype. Are, are there ways of, of adding those things to the to the, the patent after it's been granted? 
Um, you can't expand on the patent once it's granted. Mm -hmm. um, you can file another patent application, mm -hmm. and you can add to that patent application any significant improvements right. um, over the initial patent. Right. So you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, also, there's something called a continuation patent um, application. Mm -hmm. And if a patent is going to issue, but before, right before it issues, mm -hmm. you can file what's called a continuation patent application. And I often recommend the clients do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you have an open continuation, um, then you can, uh, you can make other claims. Mm -hmm. And the claims are really what you can keep people from making and using. Right. Um, or selling. Yes. So you want, you know, as many claims and as broad as possible. So you, if you have a continuation application, then you can structure some additional claims to gain some additional protection. Mm -hmm. But the other thing you can do is you can file what's called a continuation in part application mm -hmm. before it issues. Mm -hmm. And it'll claim the priority date, the filing date okay. of the initial patent application, mm -hmm. but you can add material to it. Okay. Now, with the new material, you'll only get priority as of the date you filed for the new material. Mm -hmm. But that way you can continue to develop and expand on the on the patent. Right, right. Okay, well that's useful for us to know. Um, as I said, to me, a, a, a obtaining a patent, although as an engineer, I have patents in my name, and, and I have pride. I hang them on the wall. It's a wonderful thing. Uh -huh. um, but from a business standpoint, it, it's also a business decision because it's expensive uh, to file uh, for a patent. I mean, relatively speaking, could be expensive. And um, it's a long process. Um, and uh, you have to, I, I think you have to consider when you're filing for the patent, what is the life of your product? I mean, how long is it actually going to be produced? And and um, uh, are you going to make enough money to even to to profit enough to to pay for the patent? Or you know, what's your long term goal? Are you going to produce this yourself, or are you going to sell your idea or license it to somebody else? Um, so there's there's business decisions related to. Um, Filing and why to file and, and I think when to file. Uh, do you, do you, when you have clients, do you, do they get advice on, on, on that, those different aspects of, uh, of patents and, and, you know, when and, when they, and if they should file or? Well, to some degree, yes. I mean, I'm an attorney. I'm a patent attorney. So I give them legal advice. Right. Don't necessarily give them business advice sure. per yeah. se. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there's certainly business considerations. Mm -hmm. You're mentioning when to file a patent, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, whether to file a patent. Mm -hmm. um, that's all got to be taken into account. So I, I consult with them on things like, for example, um, you know, terms of patent. Um, how long a patent lasts. I mean, it's a right granted by the government, but for a limited period of time. So, what is that time? Yeah, that time is um, 20 years from the earliest filing date. Okay. So, when you file your non-provisional or utility patent application, mm -hmm. that starts the 20-year clock. Okay. And with with some um, 
what I want to say, disclaimer to that in the sense that if the patent office takes too long to examine your patent mm -hmm. and it's their fault mm -hmm. that they're taking too long, then you can get an adjustment on that patent term. Oh, interesting. But mm -hmm. it's basically 20 years from your filing date. Mm -hmm. And you're right, patents are expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, provisional patent applications are cheaper and easier to file. Mm -hmm. um, I'll throw out some numbers, and you got to take these numbers with a grain of no, salt. Sure. Yeah. Because, you know, some inventions are very simple, some are very complex. Sure. But mm -hmm. when we talk about filing a provisional patent application, mm -hmm. we usually talk provisional in the two to $5,000 range mm -hmm. to get the application on file. Okay. Okay. Now mm -hmm. that application is not examined, as I said. Sure. Right. So you spend two to $5,000 if you file the provisional first, right. and you don't have to, mm -hmm. but to get it on file. Mm -hmm. Well, depending on your point of view, mm -hmm. two to $5,000 isn't cheap. No. Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, if you want to file a utility application to start with, we usually talk, gosh, if you can do it for $8,000, that's pretty darn good sure. in my, my estimation. That, that's an application that probably doesn't have any drawings, like a, a chemical um, formulation, a mm -hmm. compound formulation, mm -hmm. usually doesn't have drawings. Um, but, you know, you're talking probably more like 12,000, mm -hmm. 8 mm -hmm. to 12, mm -hmm. even could go as high as 15. Sure. Right. Just to get the, utility patent application on file. Right. So that's a chunk of change for people. Sure. So a lot of the inventors, single inventors, you know, the entrepreneurs that don't have an established business yet, mm -hmm. they'll file the provisional patent application, mm -hmm. and then they'll take that year to determine whether or not to file the non-provisional, because sure. it's going to cost, sure. you know, Ten or fifteen thousand dollars to file that non-provisional. Sure. So that's all got to be taken into account, yeah. and then you know it takes three to five years. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do it quicker. You can pay to have it examined faster. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally, mm -hmm. it takes three to five years to get a patent. Also, if you're a cedar, senior citizen, isn't there an expedited? If your age can be, mm -hmm. uh, you can expedite based on age. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, or if it's going to benefit the government. You oh. know, if there's some, <laughs> you know, new uh, missile technology, yeah, sure. you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, you can expedite based on that. Or if if not, you can pay to expedite. Right. But, you know, you've got to take into account how much it's going to cost, you know, over what period you're, you're going to pay. Mm -hmm. And I just mentioned the initial patent application okay. being in that utility patent being in that yeah, let's call it ten to fifteen thousand dollar range. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, then you know, as you go back and forth with the patent office, which mm -hmm. almost always happens. Sure. They always reject the mm -hmm. patent to begin with. Mm -hmm. I've had like one in several hundred mm -hmm. that got allowed on the first try. Right. Because they always, I think, the examiners are paid to find problems. Yeah, yeah. Or they don't pay enough. You know, they don't have enough time to really look at the other things out there. Right. Mm -hmm. So they just throw things out. So anyway, then you pay uh, your attorney to argue back and forth with the mm -hmm. patent office until you get a patent. Sure. So that costs money, too. So sure. usually you're talking at least $25,000 right. for an issued patent. Right, over a, over a few years. Over, yeah. yeah, three to five years to get it. And mm -hmm. meanwhile, mm -hmm. you know... Time is going by. That time is going by, yes. yes. So <laughs> all that's got to be considered. So um, uh, uh, now, something I think that's newer, and I could be wrong about this also, is our, our maintenance fees. And how, tell, tell us about the maintenance fees for a utility patent. Uh, basically, there's three um, times that you have to, during that 
20-year period mm -hmm. uh, that you have to pay fees to the patent office to maintain your patent. Mm -hmm. uh, one is at the three-and-a-half-year mark, one is at the seven-and-a-half-year mark, and one is at the eleven-and-a-half-year mark. Mm -hmm. And the fees get progressively more expensive mm -hmm. as you go on. Mm -hmm. And so it costs money to keep your patent in force, mm -hmm. too. And if you don't pay the maintenance fees, then your patent goes abandoned mm -hmm. and you lose the protection. Right. And a lot of people don't know that you have to pay those kind of fees. And, 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 you know, depending on whether you're a micro entity, which is like a single inventor that yes. doesn't make a lot of money, mm -hmm. or a small entity, mm -hmm. or a large entity, the fees are different. Right. Uh, most of the people I deal with are either micro or small, although I do have large entity clients. Okay. But the fees are half as much for a small entity as they are for a large entity. Gotcha. So for a small entity, um, which is 500 employees or less, mm -hmm. uh, for a small entity, um, the fees on the three and a half year are under a thousand dollars. Yeah. But then they go, you know, the thousand to two thousand on the second, and mm -hmm. and more like three to four on the on the eleven and a half year. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And for large entities, it's even more. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're paying quite a number of thousands of dollars to maintain. Too. Okay. Um, uh, one of the things uh, I think one of the uh, and, uh, newer aspects of patents that's happened a few years ago was what's called first to file. Yes. Can you kind of address that and how that's how the laws changed uh, somewhat? Yeah, sure. Um, and you know, the rest of the world was on this first to file system long before the U.S. and sure. I, most of the rest of the world anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, it was uh, March of two thousand and. 13, that basically the U.S. put a law into effect that basically whoever files first mm -hmm. has the first rights. Mm -hmm. It used to be whoever invented first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what that means is if you and I both invent something, the mm -hmm. same thing, sure, completely separately, I don't know about you, you don't know about me, it's yes. not like I'm stealing your invention, we just happen to do it simultaneously yep. and mm -hmm. separately. Mm -hmm. If I file first, mm -hmm. I have the first rights. Right. Even if you invented before me yes. and I invent separately right. and file first, right. I have the first rights. Right. Um, it used to be if you invented first and I invented second, right. but I filed first, mm -hmm. you could file and what was called swear behind me. You could show evidence that you right. invented first. So this is where the people would have a notebook or, or send a letter to themselves right. or something like that showing that they had uh, a witness or somebody saying that the, they had actually invented the idea. Even though they didn't file it first, they actually invented it first. But now the law says so somebody could have started the work the day before and filed the next day, and somebody could have been working on this idea for 10 years, and the person who filed first is the one who, who, who gets, who now gets priority, who gets Correct. the, yeah. That's, that's important. That is an important Because everybody always thought, oh, I just, you know, I, I have documentation, I have witnessing, and that used to be the way it was. It's not that way anymore. It's important to understand it's a real significant difference for some people that you, you need to be careful about first to file. So related to that, um, let's talk about uh, public disclosure and how disclosing to the public affects your ability to, to patent something. It does, and a lot of people don't realize this either, but if you publicly disclose your invention or you make it and sell it, mm -hmm. you start a clock running. Mm -hmm. As soon as you make that public disclosure, as soon as you advertise or 
for sale or sell the invention, the product, mm-hmm. um, then you start a one-year clock running. Mm-hmm. And you have to file for a patent, app, uh, a patent in that one year, either provisional or non-provisional, but you mm-hmm. have to file in that one year. If you don't file in that one year, you forever lose your rights to file a patent. Forever, forever. lose the right. Yes. That's important to understand because when you start talking to your friends or family or people in the public, and they have not been bound by some non-disclosure, correct? Correct. Uh, you could be, you could be uh, jeopardizing the ability for you ever to patent your idea, and uh, it's very important to understand that. Uh, it's not that you shouldn't be discussing it with the correct people, but for example, uh, every person that comes to deal with Blue Dolphin on their ideas uh, is definitely free to. Uh, uh, have us work with an NDA. We're more than happy to sign NDAs. We do it all the time. And NDA by NDA, I mean non-disclosure agreement. Um, so it's important to have some of this uh, in mind when you're going to start discussing your idea with people. Everybody gets excited. They want to talk to their family and friends. Just just keep this in mind. It's It's important. At some point in time, I think early on in the process, you probably ought to just confer with a patent attorney and say, hey, what can I get away with? What should I do, you know, before I actually file? Just to just to get the legal side of what you what you should or shouldn't be doing. So it's important to keep those those uh those things in mind. Yeah, and I want to actually expand on that just a little because um a non disclosure agreement is very important. Mm-hmm. Um I think what some people don't understand is when you file for a patent, um what it does is it protects the invention. Yes. Okay. Um, and it, oftentimes it's best, most of the time we recommend getting a, a patent application on file really before you start talking to yeah. people. Mm-hmm. But the non-disclosure agreement protects more than just the invention itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a contract, and contracts can be broken. Mm-hmm. But the non-disclosure agreement can also um, protect your business concepts that aren't part of the invention. So, for example, how you might manufacture something, what you might charge for it, mm-hmm. your cost of manufacture, mm-hmm. who your potential customers might be, sure. who your vendors are, all that confidential business yes. information right. can be protected by a non-disclosure agreement, yeah. whereas it's not protected by the actual patent application. Sure, right. So we usually recommend that people do both. Get right. the patent application on file as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. um, but have a non-disclosure agreement and have anyone, and I say anyone, because, you know, relatives can, you can have your brother that's just not a nice person, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and then, and he might try to steal your, your idea, sure. your yeah. invention. Sure so I has. say anybody mm-hmm. that is not your attorney, mm-hmm. um, you should have uh, sign a non-disclosure agreement. So okay. we recommend that, you know, people dealing with you mm-hmm. file a non or, or sign a non-disclosure agreement right. with well, you. Good advice. Excellent advice. <laughs> So um, okay, so let's uh, switch gears here a little bit. Um, let's let's talk about um, uh, trademarks. Trademarks are um, fun. <laughs> I think they're fun. Patents are fun too because um, you know, from my perspective, I get to learn about the new technology with patents. But trademarks are a lot easier than patents. Mm-hmm. So they're a lot easier and less expensive to get. A trademark registered than to get an issued patent. Um, but trademarks, I mean, people misunderstand sometimes, but, but trademarks are really words, images, 
Um, it, they could even be sounds mm-hmm. or smells. Oh, interesting. They can be colors mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. Um, that basically identify the source of a good or service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. for example, um, you know, I mentioned sounds. Uh, most people know the NBC chimes. Yes. Uh-huh. Those are those are trademarked. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because they anybody that hears that sound basically relates Identifies, it to, to yes. NBC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people trademark um, words or a logo, for example. Sure. But but what that is is it basically identifies the source you as the source of your goods or services. Yes, you recently trademarked uh, the pie shop uh, logo. Yes. yes. Which we sounds like we're going to trademark. A new logo because it sounds like we're going to change the branding so much. So okay. I'll have to talk to you about that. But anyways, okay. so, so yes, okay. So for example, logos and uh, things that identi- that can be identified to to uh, anybody, an organization, whatever. It's, it's interesting. Smells. I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. uh, it smells like a perfume smell ah, or something. Sure. In okay. fact, um, the smell of Play-Doh mm-hmm. has been. Trademark. <laughs> because Plato has a very distinctive it smell. Does. To yes, it. it does. So, and yeah. anybody that smells that know that's knows that's yes. Plato. So it's been trademarked. So let's talk about perfume for a second. I, I just had a thought. So, uh, so perfume, the actual smell could be trademarked, but also then could the formulation to create the perfume then be patented? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. And then, and then the look of the bottle have a design patent. It could have a design patent, and it could also have what's called trade dress, which is kind of like a trademark. Oh, interesting. Uh, for example, the Coca-Cola bottles mm-hmm. um, have a distinctive shape. The old-fashioned yes. Coca-Cola, uh, Coca-Cola bottles, mm-hmm. um, those have trade dress protection. It's the look of the bottle. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But they could uh, um, have a design patent, too, if they were very distinctive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can have several forms of protection on the same thing. Okay. Um, uh, so, so uh, with trademarks, um, uh, are there are there things that differentiate trademarks as far as you know one having one being stronger or than than another? What are the type of things? That- yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that about trademarks. I mean, trademarks have to be distinctive. So mm-hmm. when somebody sees the trademark smells the trademark, mm-hmm. hears the trademark, mm-hmm. it automatically, in the mind of consumer, a, a consumer, um, associates that smell, that look, whatever, with the product or the source of that product. Mm-hmm. So they've got to be distinctive. Mm-hmm. So somebody comes and they want to uh, trademark something like Apple for apples. This is a very basic example. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to trademark Apple for apples, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Because apple is generic mm-hmm. for apples, so you can't even trademark that. Sure. But if you, for example, uh, want, well, apple is trademarked. Apple mm-hmm. is trademarked for computers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's nothing, you know, it's kind of fanciful that you would call a computer mm-hmm. an apple. Sure, yes. So that's a very strong trademark. Gotcha. Generic, mm-hmm. you can't even, you can't even trademark at all. Right. And then there's something called descriptive. If mm-hmm. something is merely descriptive, mm-hmm. it can't be trademark either. Mm-hmm. And it could be geographically descriptive even. So, for example, um, let's say California oranges, mm-hmm. California raisins. That's okay. probably a better one since mm-hmm. we're so well known yes, for raisins. So California raisins can't be 
trademarked, at least initially, because it's merely descriptive. Descriptive, yes. It's raisins that come from California. California, right. Now, that's not to say you couldn't ever trademark it, because if you use that over and over and over again for years and years and years, right. and for example, um, just because Sunkiss is a big name in raisins, yes. I'll use them as an mm-hmm. example. If mm-hmm. Sunkist used that California raisins over and over and over again mm-hmm. over a period of at least five years, probably more, mm-hmm. people might automatically associate that with their raisins. Right. And so they might later down the road be able to trademark it. I understand. But if it's mm-hmm. merely descriptive and, mm-hmm. and consumers wouldn't associate mm-hmm. California raisins right. with, for example, Sunkist, right. then you can't trademark it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you can trademark things that are suggestive. Okay. If they're not just descriptive, they mm-hmm. might be suggestive. Mm-hmm. For example, if you had a water gun mm-hmm. and called it a soaker, Mm-hmm. You know, sure. people get soaked by a water gun. That's kind of suggestive right. of the water gun. Mm-hmm. But you can trademark that. That's on the stronger end. Oh, interesting. And yeah. then, like okay. I said, arbitrary, fanciful things like Apple for computers. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, Kodak. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kodak was an English term at all. It wasn't a word right. prior to Kodak sure. mm-hmm. becoming Kodak and right. using that term. So yeah. that's that's kind of an arbitrary or uh, right. fanciful sort of um, right. trademark. So, so the more you get to that um, arbitrary, fanciful, at least suggestive, mm-hmm. but arbitrary, fanciful, the mm-hmm. stronger your trademark is going to be. So for example, the pie shop, which sort of brings to mind baking and things like that. In our, in our circumstance, it's it's a product incubator, so that's sort of on the fanciful Correct. side. It's not a direct Correct. inference. It's, it's indirect. And, yeah, and I like the fact that you use pi, P-I, yeah. yes. as in the, the mathematical, mathematical symbol, symbol yes, for yeah. pi mm-hmm. yeah. to indicate you know sure. your name for the incubator. So yeah, that, leave that it to the nerd engineer one. to do something like that. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's good. So, uh, you know, in that kind of trademark, then won't have a problem with it being merely descriptive. Right. Now, if you tried to trademark pie shop mm-hmm. for an actual pie shop, mm-hmm. that would be a problem. That would be a you problem. Know, a problem that made, you know, P-I-E, pies. Yes, yes. That would be a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the registering a trademark. What's that involved in that process? And it's much easier um, than a patent. You file a trademark application. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, it's done electronically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still takes eh, six months to a year, depending on if there's any issues with mm-hmm. the application. Mm-hmm. But but you can trademark within six, six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And you basically have to submit a, a picture of the trademark. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's just words and mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, just a standard word mark, you don't really need to submit um, artwork. just the mm-hmm. artwork, mm-hmm. right? But if you're doing a logo, you need to submit submit the um, the artwork for the logo. Sure. Um, obviously, if you're doing something like a smell, you need to be able to submit to the trademark office. Yes. Mm-hmm. The smell. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's not going to be done electronically right. generally. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. I'm hearing that you can do all kinds of things now with with 3D yes. printing. Yes, we can. <laughs> but I don't think you can 3D print a smell yet. <laughs> Well, we'll work on that. <laughs> I have a feeling we're getting close, so yeah. But well, you, you submit the mark, okay. and then you have to, If there's two different kinds of trademark applications, really, in terms of federal app applications. Um, you can 
file based on I'm already using the trademark, mm -hmm. or you can file on an intent to use basis. Okay. An intent to use, you have to have a bona fide intent. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have to genuinely be planning to use this trademark. Sure. You can't just file to, to save it for later. You've got to you know be putting together a business plan, right. trying to develop the product, that right. kind of thing. But mm -hmm. you can file if you're not using mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not using yet, you don't have to do much more other than fill out the application, uh, submit a, uh, the, the trademark, the logo itself, or whatever it is. Um, but if it's if it's a use-based application, you have to also submit a specimen of use. Okay. And so if you've actually been using it or going to ha start using it, you have to show how it's being used. used right. Yeah. So you have to in show front of the, a package or right, whatever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You have to show the mark in association with the product or mm -hmm. the service. Gotcha. Okay. And the fees associated with trademarking? Oh, they're much less. Um, we have a standard fee schedule, mm -hmm. and I don't want to necessarily disclose that to oh, the world fine, right but here. <laughs> but yeah, it's much less. Um, I usually tell people that um, they can get a trademark registered, mm -hmm. actually issued a, a registered trademark mm -hmm. for two thousand dollars or mm -hmm. under. Gotcha. Now, in some cases, it could be more, sure. but it could be quite a bit under if there's right. no problems with other marks that are similar sure. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. And wow. it takes a much shorter period of time. Yeah. Too. Yeah. As I as I uh, found out when we registered for the pie shop, it didn't take very long at all. It was kind of pleasant compared to the the patent applications process that I've been through. Um, painfully long sometimes, but I'm getting older, so I get I'll get to take advantage of that uh, senior citizen thing here one of these days. So <laughs> uh, I'll be doing a lot more patenting then. So, uh, anyways, uh, well, I appreciate you coming out here, and no and I hope everybody's gotten a little bit more insight on what's what's involved. Um, uh, I guess the you know the takeaway from this is you got to be careful not to armchair. Uh, quarterback how you get and what you should do with a patent or a trademark. Um, the best thing you could do is get some advice, get some legal advice or uh, some help from somebody before you start or ask the questions, you know. And if nothing else, be a little careful. It's better to be careful probably, especially in the beginning. After you get the patent, well, then I guess you're in a lot better shape, you know. There's a lot more things you can you can do and, and, and expose. So uh, I'd like to thank uh, Sherry Flynn, my, my guest, uh, a wonderful lawyer with Coleman and Horowitz, uh, a regional law firm here that we have a very close association with. And uh, I would suggest you give Sherry a call or, uh, or any patent attorney a call, I suppose, if you need help. And uh, join us again when we on our next podcast. Uh, we'll let you know what we're working on. And uh, glad you guys could tune in. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Mark.